Hey everybody and welcome to The Year Was, the podcast that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party, causing all your friends to question, hey, who invited you? Like, seriously, why are you here? I'm your host Michael Montalban. For the next few minutes, we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes today truly unique. On this episode, we examine the events that occurred March 25th. Well, first things first. Happy birthday, Sir Elton John. The singer was born on this day in 1947, and if you haven't already, check out the movie Rocket Man, which I found to be a lot of fun. I was going to do this episode on him, but I started this pretty late and just couldn't devote enough time to do the singer justice. Instead, I found two other topics that I fought with. It was a battle of wits and stamina, and in the end, I still don't know which one to write about, so I guess that means I lost. One of the topics was a nice one, and dealt with, according to the Dionysus Exegus calendar, the first Easter, which was supposedly held on this day in the year 31. But I also found out about a disaster, which, if you didn't know by my writing, is the one I just decided to go with. The year was 1911, and on this day, March 25th, the Triangle Shirtwaist Company suffered New York's worst factory fire, resulting in the death of 145 employees. The Triangle Shirtwaist Company made women's cotton and linen blouses, which, to the best of my knowledge, is like a shirt, but like really fancy. The company operated out of New York's lower Manhattan, Greenwich Village, according to Wikipedia, and it also looks like it was on the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors of the Ash Building. So, you know this is a disaster. So let's go into more detail about what happened. One of the things that we really need to know about the Triangle Waste Factory is that it was essentially a sweatshop. Of its employees, approximately 500 young women aged 14 to 23 were employed as seamstresses, with an unspecified number under 100 of additional male workers. Most of the women employed were Jewish and Italian immigrants who spoke little to no English, with the majority of them in their teens. Before we go into detail about the fire, let's talk about the building. There were four elevators, three of which did not work or were not operational that day. It was also at the end of a long, narrow corridor. There were also two stairways that led to the street. One of those doors only opened inward, and the other door had been bolted closed to prevent theft. The building did have a fire escape, but it was also very narrow, and while usable in the event of a fire, it would have significantly slowed down the evacuation process. Here's an interesting bit of trivia for you. The owners of the building, Max Blank and Isaac Harris, had a suspicious history with fire. The factory had suffered fire before twice in 1902, and another of their factories, the Diamond Waste Company, burned in 1907 and 1910. Allegedly, they burned their building in order to receive fire insurance policies, which was actually a common practice at the time. Also added to this was apparently a high level of corruption, allegedly in both the garment industry and the city government. And because of this corruption, it was ensured that no useful safety precautions 
Take, for instance, the sprinklers Blank and Harris did not install were in place to fight fires. The article on History.com goes on to talk about these two men in more detail. What I want to briefly mention here is that they paid the workers $15 a week and in the 1909 International Garment Workers Union strike, they hired police to imprison strikers and paid politicians to look the other way. So, they were really great guys. Okay, let's get back to the story. On March 25th, roughly 4.45 p.m., the fire began on the 8th floor in a rag bin and began to grow out of control due to the fabrics in the shop and the lack of safety options in the building. Everyone panicked and made their way to the elevator to escape. The thing about the elevator was that it could only hold 12 people, and because they only had one working, the operator had to make multiple trips in the single digits. How single digits? Four. He made four trips. It was then that the elevator broke down. Some of the women, still trapped on the top floors, desperate to escape the fire, jumped down the elevator shaft to their deaths. Others made their way to the stairwell. Some actually managed to escape, despite the inward swinging doors that had slammed shut. Unfortunately, the more unlucky ones found the second door to be locked shut. That was the door that had been bolted to prevent theft. And what about the fire escape? It actually collapsed, trapping more people inside. I know what you're asking. What about the owners? Well, while their workers were being burned alive or jumping to their deaths, they, along with the girls who were on the floors above the fire, escaped to the roof of the building, and once there, were able to jump to a neighboring rooftop to escape the flames. Firefighters arrived on scene, but because the fire was so high up, most ladders and hoses would actually not reach the fire, instead only reaching the seventh floor, and so they were unable to fight it. They even tried to roll out the net to let people jump into, but three girls jumped at once and ripped it, so that didn't end up being any use. It was all over in under 20 minutes. 49 had died from the fire and smoke, 36 from the elevator shaft, and 58 from jumping from the building. Two more would later die from injuries. It was later determined by the fire marshal that the fire must have started from an unextinguished match or cigarette butt that was thrown into a scrap bin of rags that ignited and grew out of control. So what happened next? The owners were tried for manslaughter, and while they were acquitted, they had to pay $75 to 23 families of victims. The owners, however, received $400 per death from the insurers. The important things that happened were the reforms that came about because of this incident. Infoplease.com lists them as The Factory Investigating Commission, the Bureau of Fire Investigation, and the Fire Department's Fire Prevention Division were all established in 1911. With this, new labor, health, and fire safety laws were put into place, which mandated the use of outward swinging doors, sprinklers, regular inspections, and fire safety drills. It also forbade locked doors during working hours. Also, it says here that after the incident, labor union organizing was more successful, and it also led to a liberal and reformist movement 
within the Democratic Party. And that's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps me steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.